Bible. We want you to have God's Word open in front of you on your lap. Um, we are all about God's Word. Um, I have nothing for you this morning. Um, and uh, just a, a note, the Bible in the pew in front of you is a different translation than we use, so um, those ones might be tempting, but uh, get one of these ones. Um, that's uh, it's going to be in line with the translation that we're using here this morning. Uh, well, this is, a, this is a special morning. Um, this morning we are uh, officially installing Kyle Kuzik as an elder at Redemption Church. Um, so this is a, a fantastic day. That's a big deal. Um, we take eldership very seriously. And uh, a, a lot of people today would say that, well, church leadership, church structure, um, it's not actually something the Bible talks about. That's, that's not actually something that we're given clear direction on. And so... Um, or even um, what the Bible does say is, is kind of outdated. It, it doesn't really apply to us. Uh, it's not really applicable to the church today. Uh, and so we're just kind of left to our own devices, do whatever works, whatever makes sense. Um, one conversation, a significant denominational leader in Alberta. Um, I was told, well, there's nothing wrong with eldership per se, um, but it's kind of like wearing cowboy boots to the beach. Like you could do it, I guess, um, but it might not be the best fit. It may not be the, the best tool for the job. Another occasion I was talking with uh, about biblical uh, qualifications for eldership, First Timothy 3, Titus 1, with a, a regional minister uh, over an evangelical denomination in Alberta. And, and his response was that, well, those two lists are totally different. Um, so which list are you going to follow? Uh, and then the qualifications on those lists are so high, so unreachable, that, that no one would ever be fit anyways. And so it would be better just to have a leadership council that is our own kind of thing, and we'll leave the conversations about eldership to the scholars, and they can work that out. Well, at Redemption, um, we don't believe in leaving any of the Bible for the scholars. Um, we want to walk in what God has called us to, um, and we don't think church leadership is just up for grabs. I think God has revealed to us in his word how his church ought to be led and governed, and so uh, then it's not a question of just what works best. It's a question about obedience. It's not about convenience. It's not about comfort. It's not about productivity. It's about obedience. And, and obedience to the Lord may be difficult. It may well, I would suggest, very likely put us at odds with our culture in significant ways. Um, but we believe obedience to the Lord will always be for his greatest glory and our greatest good. And so we're going to pursue that together. Um, so this morning, um, as we welcome Kyle as an elder, um, I want us to take some time in the Word, um, and, I, and I want us to, to look at biblical eldership. What is this all about? What does this mean? Um, first, we're going to look at the foundation for eldership, and, and I know this is not our usual process. We're just going to look at a number of different passages and see what Scripture says about biblical eldership, um, and then after that, we're going to spend the bulk of our time looking at the charge of eldership, um, a word of encouragement given by Paul to the elders in uh, the church of Ephesus uh, in the book of Acts. But before we do either of those, let's stop and pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have given us all we need for life and godliness and your promises to us. Thank you that your word is 
trustworthy and true that is breathed out by God, that is profitable for teaching, training, correcting, and, and, uh, and training in righteousness. God, we need your word. Would you soften our hearts today? Would you humble us in our pride? Lord, may we be, may we be shaped and formed and challenged and encouraged, built up and strengthened where we need to be, crushed where we need to be. God, would you be at work? Lord, if there's anything that I have to say that is, that is not of you, that is not true to your word, may those words be uh, left behind and forgotten. But may your word go forth and may, uh, as you promised, may it accomplish all that you have set out for it to do. So Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first, just briefly, the foundation of eldership. Where do we get this idea from? Um, the reason we have elders in our church uh, is because that's what we see in Scripture. The book of Acts, we see Paul traveling around the known world, planting churches as he went along. And Acts 14, 23 says, When they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Paul the apostle planted churches, installed elders time and time again as he traveled um, through the, uh, the known world. In every church he appointed elders. He sent a letter to uh, the young man Titus on the island of Crete. Titus 1.5 gives him these instructions. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you may put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. The letter of 1 Peter uh, wasn't written to a specific church. It was written to um, all of the churches scattered across um, Pontius and Galatia and, and this whole area. In 1 Peter 5.1, Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Peter assumes every church that receives this letter is going to have elders in it. And so he addresses those elders, assuming their presence. Then there are two of the most obvious passages, um, the qualifications for eldership. 1 Timothy 3, 1-7. Titus 1, 5 to 9. I'll leave those for your uh, further study later, but uh, it's very clear. Paul's saying, here's the qualifications. Here's what an elder in the church must be. And yes, there's a little bit of difference in language between the two, um, but I would suggest if you were to take it like that kids game you used to do and line up all the words on one side and all the words on the other side and draw a line from one to the next, um, you'll find that there is significant significant, almost universal overlap. Um, they are definitely describing the same kind of person. And yes, the, the qualifications are significant. They're not small. Uh, only Jesus would fully um, meet these standards completely. And yet, um, an elder in the church is to be characterized by them generally. And I think the, the definition, the description there really is just a description of Christian maturity. It's just a description of what all believers ought to strive for and grow in. And so if these, this list of qualifications is not to be applied um, to the installation of elders in the church, then, then what are they there for? And, and if the Bible is not our authority here, then is it actually our authority anywhere? Notice all of these passages as well from top to bottom. Uh, it's never singular. It's never uh, one elder per church. It is uh, Paul and Barnabas appointing elders, plural, in every church, singular. 
Titus was instructed to appoint elders, plural, in every town. Every town would have a church is kind of the idea there. Peter addresses the elders, plural, in each church. Time and time again, elder is a plural, not a singular. The idea of this kind of one power leader in the church, one, one CEO with all the authority, uh, it's not only unwise, it's unbiblical. Eldership was always to be a shared responsibility in, in leading the church. There were the apostles. Apostles were appointed directly and specifically by Jesus Christ in uh, himself. And, and then next under that, the next thing we see are elders. And elders are always plural. There's multiple. Um, so my role at the church is not the top of the pyramid. I am not the boss. I am not the, 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 the ruler. I am one of the elders. Now, I have the privilege of being supported by the church so I can give my time to preaching and studying and teaching and, and shepherding. So I have a, a unique function. I have a unique role. Um, but Paul even talks about this, 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So Paul had this in his day. There were multiple elders leading the church, and one or some of those elders would labor significantly in preaching and teaching, and, and the church was to provide for them, to support them. That's what we do here. So that's a, that's a really quick, high-level overview of a few of the many passages that talk about eldership and, and why we do what we do. That's the, the foundation of eldership. Now I want to take the rest of our time looking at the charge of eldership. This is Acts chapter 20. Um, I want to look specifically at verse 28. Paul gives this very specific, direct um, charge to the elders of the church of Ephesus. So the, the remainder of the sermon, in, in one sense, is directed to Kyle, myself, Kevin. It's directed to the, to the elders, and yet I think there's a lot of value in going through this together. You know what to, to expect, what eldership ought to look like, and I think there's plenty of application all around. Um, so turn with me, if you haven't already, the book of Acts, chapter 20. Um, as I said, we're going to look specifically at verse 28. But before we zoom in on one verse, I want us to get the context. I want you to hear the, the whole of Paul's speech here. So we're going to start at verse 17. Um, now Paul had planted the church in Ephesus. If you remember, Paul had three significant missionary journeys. It was on his second journey that he had started the church in Ephesus. Um, you can see it here on this map. This map. It's coming. The map. There it is. Love it. Um, Antioch is where he starts over in Syria, makes his way through uh, Cilicia, Cappadocia, Galatia, into what they called Asia, and then into Ephesus. Um, we're told he spent three years preaching the word there, and people came from all over to hear him preach. And then he went on, crossed up to Macedonia, down into Achaia, we call Greece today, um, and back up into Macedonia, and then he sailed down, and you can see that his ship stops there uh, in the city of Miletus. And Miletus is quite close to Ephesus. He says in this letter, he's not sure, in fact, he's fairly sure that he will never see them again. His life is being more and more frequently and seriously threatened. And so he calls for the elders to come to him. 
come and talk to me. He's been away for at least three, maybe more months. Um, and he wants to see his brothers again before he heads back to Jerusalem. And so there's just, this speech is just filled with passion and emotion and love. Um, so Acts 20, starting at verse 17, follow along as I read. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish the course, the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you uh, among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom, will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves, to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remember that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there were... Um, and there was much weeping on the part of all, and they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. What a beautiful picture of the end of Paul's ministry there in Ephesus. Again, you see this, the, the bond of closeness, and this section has so, so much of, of what good ministry looks like, Paul teaching them in public and house to house. Um, this amazing statement of Paul's driven in mission in life, not account my life to be of any value to myself, but that I may finish the charge, the ministry I receive from the Lord to share the gospel. 26 is a big part of um, why we preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. I, did not, I, I, I am innocent uh, of the blood of all. Sorry, I got the wrong verse there. Um, Of course, you go blind the minute you're up here. Um, 27? 
Oh, it is right there. I just didn't go far enough. Uh, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Um, we we want to proclaim the entire word of God, verse by verse. So, so much here. But verse 28, um, that's where we want to spend our time um, looking at this charge. That's kind of the nugget in the middle, the real specific directed charge that Paul gives to the elders. Pay careful attention to yourselves, to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Again, there's a, there's a lifetime there to, to unpack, to apply. Um, we're just going to scratch the surface this morning. First, Paul charges the Ephesian elders, look at yourself with caution. Look at yourself with caution. Paul's direct charge to these elders, the first thing he says, pay careful attention to yourselves. Now, I think we can take that on two levels. Um, the elder is first to, to pay careful attention to, to his own heart, who himself individually. There's a reason that, that Timothy and Titus both have these, these long lists of qualifications for an elder in the church. Neither of these lists is, is focused on charisma or on practical competencies. They're, they're both focused squarely on character, on holiness. 1 Timothy 3, Paul writes, Therefore an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, and it goes on from there. So able to teach, that's an ability. The rest are character traits. It's true. Only Jesus fulfills these perfectly, um, but an elder in the church must be generally characterized by these things. We are so enamored by impressive men, gifted men, successful men, confident men. The Lord says eldership is to be held by holy men, men of character. It would be tempting to come through a time of examination as Kyle just has, be approved as elder and relax, let your guard down. I've made it, right? Paul also warns, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. It's the most dangerous place to be. I've made it. Got it. I'm in a good place. Yeah, be careful. Watch out. Don't let your guard down for a moment. If Satan can draw a child into sin, he'll draw a child. If Satan can draw a wife into sin, he'll draw a wife. But if he can draw a husband, he can take a whole family. If he can draw an elder, he can destroy a whole church. The elder's first and primary job is to pay careful attention to himself. Continue to seek after the Lord. Continue to, to diligently pursue holiness, sanctification. Hebrews 13, 7, the church is encouraged. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. A good elder can say, follow me as I follow Christ. That's terrifying. That's humbling. It's a scary place to be, but it's so important. I know we all try and fall asleep during the, uh, the pre-flight instructions from the flight attendant, you know what I'm talking about, and they bring out their little baggie, and every now and then you get some goofball that tries to lighten it up, um, but it's, it's dull as I'll get out. Um, 
you remember through the, the droning over your headphones, um, that part about the oxygen masks falling from the ceiling, remember that? Right? In the event of a, a sudden drop in cabin pressure, oxygen masks will fall from above. Um, what do they tell you next? Make sure to secure your own mask before helping others. There's a lack of oxygen all of the sudden. Uh, it only takes a few minutes for hypoxia to begin to affect the brain. Um, and, and, and you just get slow. You get dumb real quick. You forget how to do anything. You have to put your own on if you're going to help anyone else. Sin is the same way. It infects the brain and we get confused and we, we get dumb in our sin. So Paul is saying, watch yourself first. We saw in the, the video of our, in our small groups just this last week, Robert Murray McShane, Scottish minister from the 1800s. The greatest need of my people is my personal holiness. That's huge. That's huge. That is the number one job of an elder, a pastor in the church, is to seek the Lord. 1 Timothy 4, 16, Paul says this to, to Timothy. Now, Timothy being the young man whom he had put in place in the church in Ephesus after he had left. And he says to Timothy, keep close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for so, uh, by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Persist in this and you will save yourself and your hearers. Pay careful attention, Timothy. Watch your heart. Pursue intimacy and, and walk with the Lord that produces holiness in you. There's a second angle, though, that I think we can look at this from. Paul's not only speaking to the, the elders as individuals, but also as a group. Elders together pay careful attention to yourselves. Elders are not special. They're to be mature believers, but they're not super Christians with superpowers. Hebrews 3.13 says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You wonder why we need the church? You wonder why we need to gather like this frequently? Because we are easily hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And that means we don't think anything's wrong. We think we're doing fine as we walk off into sin. And we need one another. Am I my brother's keeper? Answer, yes. We need each other. We need to exhort one another. And, and that goes for elders as well. We need to be able to speak into one another's lives challenge each other, encourage one another. 1 Timothy 5, 19 warns, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. For those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. This is Matthew 18 working its way out. We talk about this frequently. Someone sins against you, whether it's a, a congregant or an elder, you go to them one on one and, and, you, and you talk about it. You try to make it right. And if there's repentance and restoration, then great. You've won your brother end of story. If that doesn't work, then you bring one or two witnesses with you that every charge may be affirmed by two or three witnesses. If that still doesn't work, you take it to the elders. And the elders are to deal with that. And if the person continues in unrepentant sin, that's when it comes to the level of church discipline. We want to see them repent. We want to see them restored to, to fellowship with the Lord and walking in holiness. And that 
happens amongst the elders as well. They are not immune to that. I hope no one in this congregation would hesitate to come and talk to me about sin that they see in my life. I hope the guys in my small group would actually be fairly comfortable doing that as we talk uh, every week about things that we're dealing with and things that we're growing in and where the Holy Spirit is convicting us. But ultimately, it is the elders' responsibility to be watching out for the elders. I need men who will watch my back, men who are, are bold and able to say, John, that's sin. John, you know what? You're, you're spending way too much time on Netflix or whatever. You pull up, man. Um, that correction as we battle with sin, we need it. Now, there's a, a fear that church leadership would become so tight and close-knit that they would be kind of impermeable and able to just kind of run off on their own. Um, and, and yeah, that's a, that's a fear of what sinful elders would do. The flip side would be godly elders who are so tight-knit that they won't let anyone get away with sin. They won't have a moment uh, hesitation to correct a brother, to challenge him. That's what the eldership ought to be. First and foremost, elders are to, to be looking out for themselves with, with great caution in their own hearts and amongst the elders. Secondly, then Paul says, look after the sheep with care. Look out for ourselves, look at ourselves with caution, look after the sheep with care. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. The word flock there speaks of sheep. Paul uses this sheep shepherd imagery often. Um, have you ever wondered where um, the word pastor comes from? Why do we use this word pastor? That's it right there. The word flock. Uh, is actually from the same root word as the word care from later on in this verse, to care for the church of God. Um, literally, that could be translated shepherd the church of God. The Latin word for shepherd, pastor. We just grabbed the Latin word and transferred it over into English. It, it just means to shepherd. Um, I was chatting with Lane about this. I don't know how many of, of you have had uh, pork el pastor or tacos el pastor. Um, it, it, they, they stole the Latin word too. It's just tacos shepherd style and it's delicious. Um, the first time I saw that in the menu, I was like, do I have to order this or is this some kind of veiled threat? What's going on here? Um, no, it's just shepherd style. The job of the elder is to shepherd the flock. The job of the elder is to pastor. And so what's the difference between elders and pastors? Uh, elders, pastor, and pastors, elder. There is no difference. Our culture. We use the word pastor as a, as a job title, and, and yeah, it's somewhat helpful, but, but let's get to the root. Let's get to the theological reality here. Um, we are all pastors as elders. So they, they look after the sheep with care. They shepherd. What, is a, what does a shepherd do? What does it mean to shepherd the flock? Let's just break that down very simply. First, uh, a shepherd leads the sheep. They lead the sheep. The shepherd knows where to go, and he's going there. He's out in front of the sheep, right? You drive cattle and you lead sheep. You go out front. The sheep follow. They lead the sheep. They also feed the sheep. The elders are to bring the richest food, the richest of green pastures to their sheep. Elders are to serve up a nutritious diet uh, from the word of God that will grow the flock strong. 
not shrinking back from declaring the whole counsel of God um, that the sheep might grow strong, healthy. Not only do they lead and feed, but they also protect the sheep. When wolves come, when fierce animals attack, what does the shepherd do? He puts himself out front. He challenges the wolf. The health and well-being of the flock is threatened. It's the shepherd's job to, to defend. This world is filled with wolves. Even uh, Paul warned in the very next verse, look at verse 29 and 30. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. This world is not a safe place for believers. There are leaders There are authors, there are preachers and teachers who are well-known, whose books are sold, are bestsellers on every Christian book website. And they're wolves. Their teaching is dangerous, it's wrong, it's even some of it damnable. Not only will they come from the outside, they will definitely come from the outside, but they will also come from within. We have had numerous people over the years eager to teach false doctrine, showing up, wanting to, to have a platform here. Oh, just let me preach. Just let me teach. Let me, let me lead a small group. Trying to grab, gather a crowd and the elders have had to step up and say, no, not going to happen. We need to protect the flock. The reason we're in this position of rebuilding the eldership as we are. So there were some men in the eldership who sadly became self-deceived in sin, and we're bringing accusations without witnesses, and in the end it brought division and pain and destruction. Shepherds need to protect the flock. Fourthly, the shepherds care for wounded sheep. Shepherd cares for wounded sheep. A good shepherd will see a sheep that is limping or that is injured. They don't just prod them, hey, keep up, go faster. Now, a good shepherd is gentle and loving. He's going to kneel down. He's going to bind up the wound. He's going to bring healing. Maybe he's going to carry the sheep for a while. That's a beautiful picture of what a, what a shepherd in the church ought to be. Finally, a good shepherd also corrects the sheep. One goes off wandering. Maybe he's confused or, or led astray. Maybe he's just absent-minded. A shepherd doesn't just let the sheep walk off to his own peril. A shepherd will go after the sheep, will redirect it, will turn it back from its wandering and and bring it back to the fold. If you're thinking that might be a little uncomfortable, you're right. It's a difficult job. It's difficult for a shepherd. It's difficult for sheep. Nobody likes being corrected. And contrary to popular belief, nobody likes correcting, at least not those who do it well. It's false teaching or it's sin. It's the elder's job to correct the sheep. It's the role of the shepherd. We often summarize it with the four D's. We'd say eldership is doctrine, direction, discipline, and discipleship. That's what eldership is about. It's a high calling. That is not a job that happens between business hours. That is not a job that that is easy or comfortable, Um, but that's the, the charge of an elder. Church, this comes with application for you as well. 
Hebrews 3.17 um, uses some nasty language, like curse words just about in, in our culture. Obey your leaders. Submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now there's a, a serious um, charge for elders there who are watching over souls as those who will have to give an account. That's terrifying. We'll get more to that in a minute. But church, I want you to see you're called to be pretty countercultural here. This is very anti-North American. This will, this will be counter to the natural feelings and instincts of your own heart. Obey your leaders. Submit to them. Obedience is easy when we all agree. I have this conversation with my kids all the time. I need you to obey, but I don't want to. That's exactly when this matters. It's difficult. It's hard. But as a church, we're not to be caught up in this North American ideal of, of freedom and autonomy and my rights and just personal responsibility. We're, we're a community. The Lord calls elders to, to lead and to teach and to protect and he calls the church to submit and to obey. As your elders strive to, to lead and feed and protect and, and correct, they, they ought to be approachable and, and correctable and quick to listen, um, but, but you should be a joy to lead. It would be a, a delight to them to, to lead you, and, and Hebrews says the opposite would be of no benefit to you. It would hurt you. Elders are to look after the sheep with care. Again, that's an intimidating job, a terrifying job. But notice the next line. Paul says, Be, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Elders are to look at themselves with caution, to look after the sheep with care, but then to look at the Lord with humility. Now, there's no evidence that the elders in Ephesus were appointed by some prophecy or miracle of the Spirit, but rather that, that the elders in the church are a gift of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.11 says, And he, that's Jesus, thinking Trinitarian here, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd and shepherds and teachers. Shepherd there is the same word for pastor again, poimenen. Elders are to shepherd the church of God, and, and, and they are there given by God. Titus 1. Paul tells Titus, appoint elders, and he tells him to look for, for men of character, men of good standing, men who are above reproach, men who have been sanctified and set apart. Who does that work? How does that happen? by the Holy Spirit's work in their lives. The Holy Spirit working through what we call the ordinary means of grace, through ordinary providence, gives elders to the church. It's a great comfort to the elder, not to be a great source of humility. The Lord's work, not ours. It's not something the elder has earned. It's not something that he deserves by his own effort or who he is in himself. It's not something he has chosen for himself. This is the commission of the Holy Spirit. Reminds us, as elders, we have a delegated authority, right? 
An elder in the church has no authority in and of himself. He is only there as a representative of the Lord, as an ambassador of Christ. And so his leadership is not his own. His mission, his, his vision, his hopes and dreams for the church, it's, it's not to be his own. Our mission is the Great Commission to go and make disciples. Our commandment is the Great Commandment to love God, to love others. Our authority only stretches as far as we rightly represent the Lord. God's word is our authority. As elders, we, as we rightly teach and apply the word of God, then, then there is no higher authority. That is, that is ultimate authority. But it's not the authority that's in the elder, but in the word of God. So elders must lead with humility, their eyes fixed on, on the Lord, representing him rightly. 1 Peter 5, Peter is exhorting the elders shepherd the flock of God. And he says in verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Well, if Jesus is the chief shepherd, what does that make the rest of us? Under shepherds, hired hands, workers for the chief shepherd. And, and that, that phrase, the, the chief shepherd, uh, how else could you say that? If you just to reword that chief shepherd Maybe senior pastor? Jesus is our senior pastor. We should put that out on our, our sign in the, in the front. Redemption Church Olds, senior pastor, Jesus. Um, that's it. We need to look to him with, with humility. We look to ourselves with caution. We, we look at the sheep, uh, look after the sheep with care. We look to the Lord with humility. Finally, we look with love to the church. His last line ought to stop every elder, every church member in his tracks. Care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. That's shocking. It's mind-blowing. Those words should make us tremble. This church that the elders are called to, to care for is more precious to the Lord than anything you could ever imagine. There's nothing higher, nothing greater, nothing weightier, nothing more significant that you could ever say than that this is the group of people for whom God himself made the ultimate sacrifice. We were sinners. We were rebels against God, at, at war with God as we spoke earlier. Every one of us had gone our own way, lived life by our own rules, lived as if we were our own gods, and, and that's as serious as it sounds. And though from our arrogant human perspective, we want to shake our fist and say, well, it's my right to have control of my own life. The truth is you are the Lord's. He created you. He owns you. And that attitude of ours and those actions of ours are nothing other than treason against him. And for that, we rightly deserve death, and hell. Rather than simply crushing humanity as he could have rightly, justly done, God is also gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, which is why we celebrate Christmas, that God himself descended from his throne in glory to be born as a baby in a manger in Bethlehem. Not only would he live the perfect life, but he would die a horrendous death. And in that death, the shedding of his blood, 
he would take on himself our penalty for sin. The wrath of God that we deserve poured out on him. And so on the cross, Jesus paid that price. He quite literally purchased sinners out from judgment and into his family, into his church. There's nothing in this world more precious, nothing more sacred than the church of Jesus Christ. There's nothing more, more, more worthy of the dedication of your entire life. This is not a, a light thing. This is not a pragmatic thing that we just happen to, you know, I feel better when I go to church. It's so much more than that. There's a theological reality as we gather together. There's nothing that the Lord cherishes more than his bride, his church, that he purchased by his own blood. Think about that. He calls the church his bride. All those who are in him are part of that. Do you know him that way? Have you repented of your sin and trusted in Christ and become part of this, this new family, this new people, the people of God? Do you see yourself as part of the, the beloved, cherished bride of Christ? This is why, again, gathering for worship is, is theologically significant and, and necessary. This is why it's commanded in Scripture. Our unity, our love, our, our fellowship, our gathering for, for worship, this is the bride of Christ put on display. It's not a light thing. And for the elders of the church, you recognize how solemn and awesome this role is, how honoring and terrifying it is, that God himself would say to us, take care of my bride. Take care of my betrothed wife. I love her more than anything else in the world, but, but she is weak and she is wounded. She is harassed by an enemy who hates her, would seek to destroy her. And, and frankly, she is frequently tempted to run after other men. I'm coming back to complete our marriage, to rescue her, to, to unite her fully and gloriously to myself, to be with her into eternity. But until that time, elder, watch over my bride. Would you look after her? Would you care for her? Would you keep her safe and faithful until I come back? Pity the man who abuses or neglects that sacred trust. That's why James 3.1 warms, not, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. It's a fearful thing. On the other side, how blessed, how highly honored is the man who does this well, who's called to this task and who carries it out faithfully, who'll be found faithful at the coming of Jesus Christ as a trusted servant who has cherished and loved and cared for the bride of Christ. 1 Peter 5 says to the faithful elder, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The elder should look on the church with his deepest affection with complete love, with self-sacrificing care because, because that is an, an elder who will be richly rewarded at the coming of Christ. That's the charge of the elder. Pay careful attention to yourselves. Pay careful attention to the, to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer to care for the church of God 
which he purchased with his own blood. Would you pray with me? Father, I am just in awe again of the beautiful wonder of the church, the bride of Christ that you have called out of darkness into marvelous light, that you are building together as living stones into a holy temple in which you dwell by your spirit. And as we gather together, we are this precious bride that you love and humbled again by this amazing call to shepherd the flock of God. Lord, would you be our chief shepherd, our senior pastor? May we bend to you completely humbled before you. And Lord, today as we bring Kyle to join the eldership of the church, would you strengthen him and humble him? Lord, would you work through him for the good of your church, for the glory of your name? Lord, thank you. Thank you for your grace towards us in Christ. We need it so much. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, this is a significant day. I think you get the sense of that as we come through this scripture. Um, I want to invite Kyle uh, and Kevin Chester to join me uh, up front here. Um,